Mosaic, it's so great to have you with us live at five tonight. As you hop online and all our various platforms, would you please do me a favor? Just greet us and say hello. We're so glad to have you here, but also say hi to the people that you, you see online. Pretend we're in the foyer that you're happy to see those people that you're seeing for the first time, maybe in a long, long time. We're, we're virtual, but it's good to be together once again. Tonight, we're beginning a new series. We're going to be in the book of Acts, but we're going to be talking about the church. And the church is something for us to be excited about because it's something that's been going on for centuries, and it's something that is alive and active today. So while we might not be participating in our gatherings, tonight Matt's going to give us a biblical picture of truly what we're about and doing today as we have been for thousands of years. I want to start tonight by reading a scripture from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending in the temple courts and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Again, what a great biblical picture of what gatherings look like and what small groups look like. That's our vision for tonight. Would you join me in prayer as we begin our worship? Heavenly Father, you have destined all of this from the beginning. We love you. We trust you. We have faith that as we move forward, you know exactly what you're doing. As church gathers tonight and as we scatter across all of Northwest Arkansas and the world. Lord, give us wisdom and passion to be devoted to you and to one another. Lord, prepare our hearts, minds, and souls for worship tonight. And may we glorify you with all that we say and do. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Mosaic family, it's so good to be with you. And uh, whether you find yourself in the backyard this evening or you find yourself huddled up in the living room uh, around the TV or the computer, we would ask that in this time you would lift your voice, that you would sing with us. Don't let this be a time just to passively sit back and watch, but could we engage in song together across Northwest Arkansas to our God this evening. Sing this with us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, my 
heavenly host praise father son and holy ghost amen oh how high would i climb the mountains if the mountains From lowly seas to where they rise Against the rush of grace descending From the source of its supply Cause in the highlands and the heartache You're neither more or less inclined I would search and stop at nothing you're just not that hard to find. Sing it out. I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. I will praise you in the valleys of the same. No less God within the shadows No less faithful when the night leads me astray You're the heaven where my heart is In the highlands and the heartache all the same Does your kindness extend the path From where your feet rest on the sunrise To where you sweep the sinners past And oh, how fast would you come running If just to shadow me through the night And trace my steps through all my and walk me out the other side For who could dare extend that mountain That valley hill called Calvary But for the one I call Good Shepherd Who like a lamb was slain Where my 
walk through the valley of death. I'll sing through the shadows. My song is his goodness to sing it. Whatever I walk through, wherever I am, you make a move mountains wherever I stand. If ever I walk through the valley of death, I'll sing through the shadows. My song of a sin, my song of a sin. Oh, 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 that valley hill called Calvary A mighty river flowing upwards From a deep but empty grave I will praise you on the mountain I will praise you when the mountains in my way you're the summit where my feet are. I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is. In the high in the heartache all the same Family, whether you find yourself in a highland right now and times are good um, and this COVID quarantine season for you has been a time to really hone in what matters most and you're just enjoying the presence of God welcome, we're glad we're worshiping with you tonight uh, or maybe COVID's the least of your concerns. <laughs> and the enemy is doing what he seems to always do, just kicking your soul in the teeth. <laughs> I'd love to turn our attention, whether you find yourself on the Highlander and that heartache towards the prophet of Jeremiah, who at a time where Israel knew what it was like to not be gathered together and where it seemed like God maybe was very distant from them. Jeremiah says in Lamentations that regardless of the suffering, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this truth. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Oh, his mercies, they never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh each and every morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. Friends, would you soak in this truth that the Lord is good to those who depend on him and to those who search for him. Would you sing this next song, dedicating and committing to the hope that we have in the person and worship of Jesus.
Walking around these walls And I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Wherever you are, sing it out, church I'm waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me This is good news, church. Would you sing this with us? Your promise. Your promise still stands. Oh, great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Still in your hands And this is my confidence You never failed me Never fails And I know oh, I know the night won't this is good news, church. Oh, your word will come to pass. And my heart, oh, my heart will sing your praise again. Oh, this truth, sing it out, church. Oh, Jesus, you're still enough. Oh, so keep me within your love oh, my heart will sing your praise again and your promise sing it out your promise still stands oh, great is your faithfulness your faithfulness Still in your hands, and this is my confidence. You never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Oh, great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence, you never fail me yet. Never fails. And I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe. I see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe. I see you do it again. I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe. I see you do it again. You made. 
Church, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands, and this is my confidence. You never fail me. You know, it's interesting. I've uh, I've noticed something of late. A common question that I used to find myself asking friends or family uh, over coffee, breakfast, hanging out. Now I find myself asking the same very common question over phone calls or or, or over Zoom type meetings. It's that simple of question. Hey, what's new? And I've noticed that as I watch people's face as they think about and respond to that question. Something's going on. And, and, and at first it's a literally nothing is new. I'm doing the exact same thing that I've been doing for these last six months. There's a sadness, there's a heaviness. But then you also get a sparkle in their eye because you can tell they're thinking nothing's new and yet everything, every single week feels like it is brand new for the very first time. Everything has changed. There's a MIT sociologist named Sherry Turkle who writes uh, something that's called Alone Together. And at the heart of it, she's getting this, maybe what's going on with our society right now, that though there are people around, there's avenues to connect, whether that's social media or screens or at a distance. Loneliness is at an all-time high disconnect. You can literally feel the weight of it. Well before uh, the pandemic hit this fall, uh, I went to New York with my wife for our anniversary. And I remember a moment sitting on the subway that was absolutely packed. And yet looking at individuals that felt uh, like they were just staring off into this lonely, isolated space. They were literally alone together. And I see that face on people uh, at a distance. I see it over the screen. I, I hear people's sadness. And man, if you're anything like me, a, a follower of Jesus who's trying to both be a disciple and make disciples, who's trying to follow the love and the life, uh, the teachings of Jesus to move towards people like Jesus in compassion, but then I'm fit, I'm, I'm hit with that, that six foot wall of stay away. Maybe I'm trying to talk with somebody or just be friendly and yet trying to speak through face masks and it almost feels like empathy whiplash, doesn't it? I can't quite tell what they're feeling or thinking or sometimes I can't even quite hear them. 
It is a very odd time. And yet I think it's a time that uh, has an intersection to it. You know, for this last year, since last January, we began teaching uh, this series called Clarity, that in 2020, we would keep our eyes, our focus, our gaze centrally and solely upon Jesus. Could there ever be a more timely strategy or effort or focus for us to think about and keep our eyes upon Jesus? And in the calendar of clarity, over the course of August, we are studying the church, particularly following the life of the church through the book of Acts. It's also the time of the year that for years and years, we've had our community launch, our, a, a primary value of what does it mean to be a part of Mosaic is that not only do we gather and worship, but we scatter into all of the corners of Northwest Arkansas through our disciple-making communities. And those communities, they, they, they come in every form, uh, but really one function, and that is to make disciples. And as I look at the paragraph that we're studying today, I actually are really familiar from Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47 that Scott read at the beginning. I would wager that the words of this paragraph have had more impact on the patterns and the rhythms of people living purposely connected lives as maybe any words ever written. And I don't believe that's a mistake that meets us, intersects with us exactly where we are today. And if you're going to sum up the early church, the story, the life, the patterns, the rhythms of the early church, this paragraph does it. But I think you could even skim it down to, there's a sentence, Acts 2.42, that we're really going to sink our teeth into tonight. But maybe even if you summed up that, that paragraph, that sentence down to one word, it's the word that's repeated twice. It is the word that really encapsulates who they are. It is they are a devoted people. Now, when I think of the idea of devoted, my mind uh, went back to my early 20s. I had the, the rare and fun privilege in my early 20s of getting to start three different summer camps in three different states and really three pretty completely different circumstances. And yet each one, one in particular, I remember uh, driving up, knowing that in two weeks from right now, hundreds of kids are going to come pouring in and looking around and actually saying out loud, did anybody tell these people that camp is starting in two weeks? And I got to the front where counselors were starting to assemble and rather than play the fun get to know you game, I looked the director in the eye and said, hand me a chainsaw and a shovel. We have got to get to work. And it was almost like this transition from boyhood to manhood in which I was living out a sense of devotion. Another camp that I got to start, uh, it was an inner city sports camp. And I remember pulling the staff around just to kind of see where they were at in terms of different sports as coaches or refs or encouragers and realizing I'm going to have to reteach the rules of football, reteach the rules of basketball, reteach the rules of baseball so that they actually become effective in their role as camp counselors. And in both situations, trying to set the culture, it took a all-out full embodied devotion to accomplish an end goal. And that word devotion, there's a lot of definitions we could apply to it. And I felt all of them in those three summer camp startups. 
Devotion is to attend constantly upon something. It is a single-minded pursuit. Or as one teacher reflected, the two ingredients of that great dish of devotion is passion and perseverance. And with definitions like that, I would ask you to reflect right now. Right now, what are you devoted to? What are you passionate about? What do you persevere attending constantly to? Maybe some hints that would help you in your, your quest for devotion would be what makes you angry? What makes you happy? What do you give your time to? What do you spend your money upon? Maybe what is the bumper sticker on the back of your car? What do you spend your days dreaming about? Maybe that will give you a hint what you're devoted to. And when I think about the disciples, the followers of Jesus in the early church, they have had their world turned upside down. Not only three years ago where they left their careers, everything that was normal to follow this man, Jesus. But even in the last few weeks to the last few days, they've gone from a death to a resurrection to hiding away in an upper room to the Holy Spirit coming to 3,000 new believers added to their number. And this paragraph is going to reflect a completely different devotion. They are wholly, fully, and completely devoted now to something else. And it begs the question, why? Or maybe even how? The answer is that same Holy Spirit that just a chapter before won the hearts of 3,000. Now this Holy Spirit is working, changing their desires, changing their very definition of success. So as we think about devotion, we're going to think about the four things that are reflected on in Acts 2.42. Uh, my little brother, who's a pastor, uh, doing a similar launch season. I love the name of the title of, uh, of, of their series. They're calling it Precedented. As almost a combatant to that buzzword we hear all the time, unprecedented. This is unprecedented time. I think what we see in the life of the disciples is they are creating a whole new precedent. And it's a precedent of devotion. And there's two primary categories that their devotion is going to uh, be spent upon. Now, yes, there's four things listed, but the grammar of the Greek sentence uh, sets these actions off as distinct. These first two, the apostles' teaching and a fellowship. And that the final two actually almost fit as a category under that word fellowship. And so we're just going to take our time, one at a time, looking at what does it look like to be devoted. So the first one. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The early followers of Jesus were continually committed to God's word. They had a passion for it, and they persevered through it and for it. I don't think it's of small regard that it is the first on the list. And it begs the question, is it first on your heart? Is it first for your priority? I think it's interesting that uh, for those who have 
maybe walked a, a faith journey, you would recognize the word that you have devotions or you would have a little personal quiet time. Somehow that word devotion has gotten hijacked into a 10-minute little feel-good studyette that you might pull open from a book. And I got to believe that the apostles and the followers of Jesus that day, that would have been like a discombobulating idea that you would sit down for a few moments and have a devotion. Well, they're showing that they are devoted all day in every way. They have made their soul delight the word of God. That's why later in the New Testament, as Paul is discipling uh, his young protege, he can tell him, hey, love the word. Go to the word, value the word. And ultimately, when all else is going to fail, teach the word because it is of foremost importance. Last week, I reached out to a pastor, a new friend of mine, uh, who also made a transition from student ministry into a disciple-making kind of ministry and then, and then became a lead pastor, just like the transition that I've been living in. And I said, brother, you got to coach me, man. What, what is it that helped you? And he looked at me in the eye and he said, let the word speak. What a testament of even what the apostles are trying to tell us here. The apostles' teaching, the teaching of the words of God of Jesus. It's almost synonymous to that manifesto in John 17 that our community ministry leads us in so well. John 17, 8 says, For I have given them, I, Jesus, have given them, the disciples, the words that you, God, gave me. And they, the disciples, have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they've believed that you sent me. The word is the central piece to receiving and knowing truth. The word is the central ingredient to truly believing in the missionary Jesus who was sent by God. So reflect with me. Do some inner heart surgery. What does your devotion to God's word look like? Think about it in a, per, in a personal lens, also in a corporate lens. How are you personally devoting yourself to savoring God's word? How about corporately, when you're with friends, when you're with your disciple-making community? It's so easy sometimes to skip it, isn't it? You just start hanging out. You just start playing cards. You just start, uh, you know, doing whatever. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, we didn't even open up our Bible. Friends, whether it's personal or in relationship, let me just encourage you. Let me charge you to plant that which will really last. Plant the seeds of God's word into everything and into every conversation. A tip for you that I've just been thinking about is maybe even an answer to the what's new question. You'll have that moment where you have butterflies in your tummy and you can say something like, ah, nothing. Or you can say, you know what? I'm glad you asked because I've been considering something. And then go ahead in a really humble and gentle way say, I've been thinking about this passage from this Scripture from this letter. I've been processing the fact that these early followers of Jesus were devoted to these things and it's been working on my heart and changing the way that I see the world. What do you think about it? And see what planting those kind of seeds happen. And we begin to see this overflowing effect when, when God's word, the word of God is planted, the word of God is of first priority 
Next on the list, we see fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. Now, just to give you a little backdrop, <clears throat> excuse me. Way back in Genesis, when sin is first introduced into the world, when Adam and Eve are there together receiving the apple, eating the apple, the results of sin every single time from that point forward is isolation and separation. Picture what happens. They eat the apple. God's walking through the garden. What do they do? They separate themselves from God and hide from him. They cover themselves in shame from each other, separating man and wife. And then God, he actually kicks them out of the garden, the very place that they were destined and purposed for to cultivate the garden. Sin separates them from God, separates them from others, separates them from purpose. And it's here, the call of the early church, fueled by the word of God, is this supernatural togetherness. It's coming together. The Greek word koinonia, where we get our word koin, is the idea of commonality. We are coming, we are knowing one another. I love how Paul writes to the letter to the Ephesians and he, he unpacks this in chapter two saying who we were. We were separate, we were aliens, we were hopeless, we were helpless, we were without God. And yet through his reconciling work, he took that separation and he made the two one, thus creating peace. And the resulting metaphor that he shares is that we become co-citizens. We become family members with Christ at the center of it all. Now that doesn't mean that you can't look out into the world and see that people who don't know Jesus uh, have good relationships. There's people who don't have a relationship with Jesus that say, I have best friends. Maybe you have an academic setting and even this word fellowship has been used in your background. Uh, a, a fellowship would be something to the extent of, of teachers or peers that share a commonality or shared vision. Maybe your background is more in something like you're a part of a fraternity or sorority and you, you looked for, you sought out, and then you invited in people that were like you that would value the same things that you value. And let's just go on record to say this is not that. This is a whole different kind of koinonia, a whole different kind of fellowship. This is a love that is so abnormal, it is actually otherworldly. And it's something that I actually think it works best when it doesn't seem like it should work at all. When you have people of different backgrounds, when you have people of different ethnicity, when you have people of different uh, look and feel and background and, and passions, when you have all of these diverse dynamics and you see them coming together, a watching world in inevitably goes, why is this working? And they start to see it's because it's something bigger. It is actually otherworldly. It's one of my favorite parts of our church name of Mosaic and our value statement we say so often. All are broken, all matter, one gets the glory. We, these broken pieces, broken by sin, but then humbled into this place of, of brokenness, matter to God and we become a picture. The church becomes the body in which Jesus is the head. 
We matter to him. He moves towards us in compassion and we respond with a heart full of love and worship that glorifies God and celebrates his presence within us. Again, John 17, verses 20 through 21 shows that overflowing again, almost like a synonym. I do not ask for these only, that's the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be one. Do you see how the word planted has an impact on the unity result? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This otherworldly love, it feels so strange. It has to have a divine influence. So in fact, the same way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one, he calls the people of God, the church, to be one. So when people see that kind of love, their attention automatically goes up. The explanation of what this otherworldly kind of love looks like, we see in the paragraph from Acts 2. Verse 44, and all who believed, they were together. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. I love this word need. You know, in the Psalms, it frequently reflects that God has made us needy so he can be the filler of need. And yet here in the church, he invites us into that just joyful opportunity to be need fillers. You see, the church has an opportunity to be a tangible expression of God's love and God's word by seeing need and meeting needs. When we are attuned to emotionally, physically, uh, to, to, to witness the needs of communities, witness the needs of people, and never become the savior of those needs, but rather be the kind of people that can point to the savior, well, friends, then the gospel has skin on it then people can see the gospel that God saves sinners through Jesus live and in action. So the third thing that they were devoted to underneath the category of fellowship, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. An early description of this would have been an agape meal or a love feast with the, the whole focus on Jesus. Now, it's interesting, Luke, as he writes both, both the Gospel of Luke and then the sequel, as he writes Acts, he uses this phrase in really two different, almost feeling like interchangeable ways. He uses the exact same original language word to describe ordinary meals that were going on and also the sacraments or the sacred moments of the Lord's Supper. And in some ways, you just kind of embrace that when believers are getting together, when they are sharing food, when they're putting their attention, when they're putting on focus on Jesus, that this bread and this cup, it helps drive our attention, drive our worship back to God. I loved, uh, maybe it was a year ago or so, uh, the disciple-making community that I was a part of at the time 
we were we were doing a meal. We would always meet and just have a big old potluck, and everybody would bring no theme, just bring what you got. We would lay it all out, and a whole lot of people would eat a whole lot of good food. And it was a night that we were taking the Lord's Supper together, and I had planned to lead them through a time of prayer and worship and set out the bread and the cup in a really like cool looking and feeling way, and we were going to read the right things and then take it and. But what I didn't see was as I was kind of planning that in my mind and, 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 and even picturing it happening, one of my sweet friends, Candy, saw just a big loaf of bread. And so as a servant does, she just started cutting that loaf of bread and buttering it up and laying it out for people to take. You know what? I actually think Candy embodied what the apostles were doing. There was nothing sacred about that piece of white loaf bread. Sacred enough to butter it up and eat it and enjoy it. But it was the same bread that we ate for our meal together right next to the lasagna. And it was the same bread with butter on it that later we ripped apart and dipped in the juice and ate together. But ultimately, it was a meal that put our attention, put our focus upon Jesus. Even in this paragraph, it talks about how they received their food with generous hearts. So there is a distinctive, there is something about the kind of breaking bread that drives our soul, drives our heart, our attention back to Jesus. And it says, uh, verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So you see the, the gathering, the scattering, the worship and the small group. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And this one happens. And having favor with all the people. Boy, it's amazing what intentional, strategic, and good food, plus a focus on Jesus, plus an overflow of gladness and generosity, it equals something. And here it says it equals favor with all the people. Favor with all the people. A watching world looking in on this otherworldly kind of love, this otherworldly kind of meal, and saying, What is going on and how can I be a part of it? You know, after this launching community uh, August series that we're going to do, this short series, we'll move into our fall study of 1 Thessalonians. It's such a good letter. I hope that you're sticking, sticking around with your disciple-making community and that you'll just join us in that time. It's going to be so rich. In that first chapter, there's just these powerful verses as Paul writes to encourage this church that gets it. And listen to what he says. He tells them, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only, listen to this, has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. It seems the same activity in Acts 2 is carrying through to the city of Thessalonica, maybe years later. And that is when we live our love, when we live our faith out loud, the gospel, the word of God sounds forth through kitchen tables all over Northwest Arkansas and the world. 
The last thing that they devoted themselves to, it says, the prayers. And notice, just, just two reflections. Notice it doesn't say pray. I think we would all agree, yes, we're supposed to pray, but it says the prayers. And it's not singular, but plural. The prayers, it seems that there's something about the liturgy of specific prayers that is significant. There's something meaningful to the spiritual formation to the lives of not just an individual, but the life of the community when we come together and we share prayer together. Every Tuesday morning, my men's group gets together and we start it and we end it the same way every time. We start with the serenity prayer. We finish with the Lord's prayer. And each week, it just invites us into a familiarity, a vulnerability, a trust of togetherness. We're participating in the liturgy of the prayers. And the result is togetherness. Another reflection on this. Um, I think it's worth noting that this passage is in the context of evangelism. You know, a lot of times when I think about my prayer life, uh, it, it, it's a different category than my evangelism life or how I'm talking about Jesus. But it seems like if we apply the context to the text, he's also saying that part of the prayers is who are you praying that the spirit of the living God would move in and through you towards? Look at how, again, he's discipling his young mentee, uh, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, pray with the kind of earnesty that you would see God draw the hearts of those whom he desires. And reflect upon and enjoy the fact of you tend to become passionate and love even more the things that you are praying for. So right now, by name, who are you praying for that they would have a Jesus encounter? A mentor of mine, uh, I heard him preach on this text and he said this phrase, pastor, I'm sorry, prayer is the thin nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. God responds to the prayers of his people. So to close our time, I just want to also look at that last verse, Acts 2.47. It's a powerful one. It's a meaningful one. It says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it's almost like a, like a pressure release valve is released. I can hear the air going, out of my anxious evangelism heart. Sometimes I think in the, kind of our westernized view of evangelism, we picture it more like a salesman. Like I gotta close the deal, I gotta say the right things, I gotta try to avoid the hard questions and if I can get it in under three minutes or less and I can be super articulate, 
that I'll close the deal. But friends, that's not what this Acts 2 paragraph, that's not the light that it shines on what our life should look like. It almost seems like if we would live simple, relational, gracious, love out loud kind of lives, living it with our resources and our actions, our complete empathy, that God does the work of winning hearts, inviting us to the privilege of getting to experience it with him. And again, I've said it twice and I'll say it again. It's reflective of the passage that we often return to our manifesto of John 17. That if we'll be a people that will live by the word, that it will have a supernatural reaction of causing diverse people to live together as one. When that happens, people will see God who sent Jesus who is sent. God does the work. He wins hearts back to himself. Sometimes when you hear this or read this, the only thing you can do is what it seems the disciples did, a sense of awe, because it truly is awesome. So in this unprecedented time, are you taking yourself out of the community game, the relationship game, the fellowship game? Are you distracted or discouraged by how you're sitting under the word or investing the word into your heart? How are you remembering Jesus through breaking bread? What do your prayers look like? And I would just ask in this unprecedented time, would you consider some precedence, some precedence of devotion? Because as dark as this season in our world's history is, let's not forget what Peter promises us in 1 Peter. He says that we have the privilege and the invitation to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. When the darkness is most oppressive, the light feels that much more marvelous. Let's be devoted to that. Hey, one of the practices that we're going to do just in this uh, month uh, as we look at forming and launching and relaunching our disciple-making communities is we're going to finish every time uh, that we're having these virtual gatherings together with a few questions. Um, And so I'm going to present these questions to you on the screen. And then my good friend and and, uh, and, and partner in this ministry thing, Scott Page, who's leading uh, just so well our community team ministry. Scott's gonna come back up and just walk you through some of the specifics. Okay, so again, every week for the next several weeks, four to five weeks, we are gonna have these two questions uh, that we would just ask that you look at, that you would consider, that you would ponder, and that you would use as discussion starters, maybe with your family, maybe with the disciple-making community that's around you. But let these guide your next steps. Here's the first question. We reflected on it earlier. What are you fully devoted to? Perhaps it's measured by where you put your time, treasure, and talent. Where's your devotion? Here's your second question. Considering the early church's example of devotion, how can you, your family, or your disciple-making community take a step towards deepening 
your devotion. So Matt gave us two great questions to close out with. I think he also said so many fantastic things during that sermon. But one thing that, that really caught me was the phrase supernatural, that, that we can't expect uh, anything to happen in our lives unless we're devoted to God, devoted to others, and then the supernatural is just going to happen in our life. That we have to expect God to have the supernatural happen in our life. So within community this year, as we launch in to the fall, here are some encouraging ways that we want to ask you to launch in to the fall. The first way that we'd like to ask you to do it is if you gather face-to-face, we want to ask you to limit that to groups of 10. Um, how do I do that? If I've got a group of 16, how in the world are you asking me to do just groups of 10? Well, it might be as simple as splitting guys, gals for a season. Um, you might want to uh, split your group down into groups of, of eight during the season. Whatever it might be, we know that this is a different season for us in disciple-making communities, but this is also a way that the church can get stronger as opposed to, to seeing ourselves as going through some type of suffering, is we're getting stronger by multiplying ourselves. So how can we make ourselves groups of 10 if you're getting face-to-face? Now, those of you that are in a high-risk category, or if you feel safer and more emotionally secure meeting virtually online, we want to encourage you to continue to do that. So Meeting virtually, whether it's Zoom or Teams or FaceTime, we're absolutely 100% supportive of that as well. Please continue to do that. We've seen that be so effective throughout time. So uh, we encourage you, continue to do that. Neighborhoods are another thing that we're fully supportive of. So please if, if there is anybody within your neighborhood that you know, uh, maybe someone that you've reached out to the past, maybe somebody that you've never even met before, this is a time, as Matt talked about, to be in prayer and then go out and seek, is this someone that God has put upon my heart, someone that he wants to bring to himself during this time? Is there a neighbor in need? This is an opportunity for us to serve our city as we go out into our neighborhoods to do that. And the final way, we as a staff have asked the question, are we serving our families in the way that we need to? What would it look like during this season if, if you grabbed one other family and, and you spent time with your children during the season? What if that became your community and you're using the family resources page that we have, you're watching services together, whatever that might be, but you took this season and you gathered that for your community. These are ways that we want you to devote yourselves to God 
We want you to devote yourselves to other and allowing supernatural things to, to happen throughout this. So that's ways that your adult community team is encouraging to, to do that. But what are ways for you to connect with your adult community team? I want to start with telling you there's been a few changes on the team. First off, uh, it's a bittersweet note that, that we say that Justin Phillips is uh, going to be going back into the counseling arena. He, throughout COVID, uh, has just seen his heart just totally shift back to what he's always been equipped to do and done so well. Uh, so many of you have, have always been encouraged by Justin investing and pouring in to, to your life through that counseling area. But Justin just feels throughout this time that, that he feels like the Lord is calling him back into being an encouragement with men and couples. And so he's going to be going back into counseling. So Colin, as you saw tonight, is, uh, is going to be leading worship for us. He's going to be teaching some. And he's also going to shepherd families and, and community groups west of the bypass. Um, I'll take small groups that are east of the bypass, as well as team leadership for our team. The Dudleys are going to shepherd groups that are in the south, and Carrie Tucker will take care of leadership in the north, as well as overseeing Discover and, uh, and a lot of our other uh, technical resources. And then we also have Meredith Jackson. Hopefully, if uh, you haven't interacted with Meredith, she's our, our team administrator and, and does a great job in that area for us. So hopefully all of you will get the opportunity to, to interact with Meredith. But if you're wondering, where do I even start with all of this? Where do I begin with, with community at Mosaic? The spot that we want you to go to is mosaicnwa.org backslash community. That's the place that you can register for a group. That's the place that if you're leading, you can register your whole group. Or that's the place that you can tell us you just want to contact a pastor and talk with us. Um, we know that this is a time that you're wondering, what does this expression of, of community mean? We're going to try and bring more clarity to you throughout the coming months. But we don't want you to live in fear at any point in time. This is the time that we feel like our church is going to be healthy and that we're going to grow through this more than we ever have spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Mosaic, this is a week that we want you all to remember God sits on his throne and he is in control. So go out and have an incredible